2: And I am joined from Fakatani by Mawira Karatai. Kira Kia
1: ora Sam, how's it going?
2: It's going very well. Now we had the professional practice symposium yesterday. You've had time to reflect on it. What was your favourite bit?
1: Um, I I just I was actually sitting thinking about that earlier and. Um, lucky for me that my favourite person to listen to was Sandy Gaia, and that's who we're just about to interview. So <laughs> it was so awesome. It is a great interview. So um, I think that once uh, those are available online to share, we could probably share that um, uh, into the link for Sandy's yep. interview as well. It
2: that was might really not, amazing. There might not be a coincidence in those those two things. <laughs> there might not be. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: You'll hear me say to Sandy several times, oh, we could interview you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so who are we introducing?
1: So it is my great pleasure to introduce uh, entrepreneur, doctorate, learner, and businesswoman, uh, Sandy Gaia. Sandy um, has a a couple of different business hats that she wears. She has her own publishing company, All Copy Publishers, and ENQ Practice, um, which uh, just sounds incredible. And I'm really glad that our listeners get to hear about this. Sandy, it was such a joy to listen to you and welcome and thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Mawera and Sam. So good to be with you. So where are you, Sandy? (laughs) So I'm based um, in Gulf Harbour, which is about 40 minutes north of Auckland. Still, still unfortunately, classified as Auckland, so still stuck um, in our bubbles, but but yeah, a little bit further up the coast.
2: So we've been asking people all through these shows how their bubble life was, and particularly for people in Auckland, that's gotten real complicated now. So let's go back to the start. How was your first bubble life in March last year?
0: yeah so that actually was i've always had mixed feelings about these bubbles because um i'm we are empty nesters i have two adult daughters that don't live at home um, I had four miniature dachshunds for the first for the first lockdown, which are my my little family here. And the big thing is that I, they don't bark when I'm online, um, and my husband and I. So so I I was just starting my research and sort of getting my learning agreement through for my research. So it was like oh wonderful, no distractions. But then I started to realize how long the day was and that there was nothing else to do like play tennis or you know play music, which I which I do. And so I go between. Caged lion and very happy um, hermit. <laughs> that was my first. That was my first lockdown.
2: <laughs> that must be an animal, an African animal that's a caged hermit.
0: <laughs> I was thinking about that. That's why it took me a while to get to the, <laughs> you know, to get to the, the 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 word. But all I can think of is hermit because <laughs> I couldn't think of one in time. <laughs>
2: So you're involved in lots of different businesses. Has has that managed to carry on?
0: Yes. So um, COVID hit me in in, in two ways. Firstly, it it very much affected the way that I was going to do my research, how I was going to interpret my research into an an, an intervention that I wanted to plan. And and at the same time, I was studying um, currently successful entrepreneurs. So I changed it in terms of the context and said, well, let's look at currently successful entrepreneurs surviving the COVID crisis. So that was awesome. But I was one of those. (laughs) So at, at the same time that I was trying to wrap my head around, how am I going to continue my research? I was also in the hot seat going, oh my goodness, this is something that none of us saw coming and how, you, you can't prepare for a situation like that. So I have a number of staff which are all South African based. Um, I travel frequently. I couldn't. So I'm lucky in that my business partner is my brother who is based in Cape Town. So he was sort of holding the fort there. And then I was conducting a number of Zoom, Zoom sessions, which were all about holding the team together, keeping everybody positive, keeping everybody assured. And I was kind of doing what I was studying at the same time. So it, it, it hit me from a number of directions.
2: So there's lots to unpick in there. Let's go for connections to to Cape Town first.
0: How are they right. doing? Right. So they've had a much tougher journey than we have. Um, I think there's been a fair amount of of the guilt syndrome going on from me in terms of watching a team of people so close to me who have grown my business with me. We've been going for 26 years and we've had very, very little turnover. People who started with us as as mothers and fathers and our grandmothers and grandfathers. And, you know, we're a very, very close knit family. And it was so hard to see them navigating a situation that it was so much, it was so out of control. And all we were trying to focus on was saying, try to stay safe. Don't worry about about the, the 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 role. We will we will hold things together. But also bearing in mind, Sam, that in New Zealand, COVID hit and the government went, uh oh, we'll assist you." Here's government assistance assistance. We can assist you with your wages. We can assist you, you know, with with your payroll. The South African government, there was no hope of of any kind of assistance. In fact the opposite we we got a um we got a notification from the department of education in south africa to say could we please have all your resources for free because it's COVID, and you know not no no sort of um attention given to to the survival of of small and medium sized type businesses so yeah it was it, it was tough to, to navigate and the way that we did it was by just pulling together and staying close to people and taking all the pressure off them in terms of work and role performance and and just trying to say look we're in this together let's navigate this together so let's let's keep talking and let's just keep sharing amongst the group in terms of what you think may work and if anyone's really battling in any other areas you know let us know Then it got more serious because then we started to have infections within the team. So we were lucky to keep it out of our central factory in Cape Town, which is where the production happens. But we've got a sales team spread right through the country. And then we were having sales team members having COVID, close family members having COVID, um, being very Affected health-wise, we haven't yet had a death within our family, but everybody is losing relatives, they're losing people close to them, they're losing significant others, and there's a huge amount of trauma in that. So, as again, as the business leader, um, understanding what they were going through, whereas I was sitting on this little island called New Zealand that to that stage was protected, that was that was tough to navigate. And for me to stay out of the out of the space of worrying about the guilt and just focusing on what I could do to help um, and, and sort of just trying to stay like this a constant for them whilst everything else was changing, but also dealing with my own grief in losing close friends um, to, to COVID. So it, within that I am I, leading on here, but within that I also developed a much deeper sense of empathy for the entrepreneurs that I was interviewing in terms of the territory that I was literally prodding at and stamping on in terms of my questions. How are you navigating the COVID crisis so far? And and understanding that coming into an interview situation, we did a survey, but that was different. But an interview situation became quite emotional. And I felt very privileged to be to be part of that. Um, And quite quite affected afterwards as the researcher, which I didn't expect. I thought, you know, I've got this. I'm in their space. I know what they're going through, but <laughs> but I didn't. You know, I, I had my stuff. They had their stuff. And and theirs, in many ways, was different and, and more serious. I hope that answers your question. At this point, I've forgotten what it was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's all right. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Africa, Toto's Africa. Why this one?
0: Uh you, you, can, you can leave Africa, but Africa will never leave you. So, it, you know, it's, I grew up with this and, and it's, it's just part of the fabric of who I am. And I think it represents that.
3: to say Hurry boy, it's waiting
2: So, Sandy, your research was going to be looking at, I think you said, characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. And that's, let's go for pivoted. Um, we've gotten so used to using the word pivoted, even if we don't like it. But let's you say that anyway. We've pivoted to successful entrepreneurs surviving COVID. How did that, that change come about for you?
0: Sam, the way that I saw it is COVID was just another crisis. And any entrepreneur that I spoke to said exactly the same thing. When you are an entrepreneur, you are in an environment where change is one of your only constants. And one of the things that you, you sort of have to get on top of is how to become adaptive and positively so uh, through that. So, so COVID, to be, to be fair, when it first hit, I looked at it as going, well, this is just another crisis. And that was echoed. In my interviews. Many many felt the same. So I do not think any of the entrepreneurs felt that this was different in, in effect, although it was such a different thing and unexpected. But it just became a very nice or very easy context for me to, to um, frame the term currently successful because the whole world felt this the tsunami hit them and then we're wondering how those that were still standing did it <laughs> whereas <laughs> otherwise my topic may have actually just been quite removed from anyone who's never experienced an entrepreneurial environment and doesn't understand how you know um, chaotic it actually is.
2: So the, the the title the name of your business or another one of your businesses enq practice where the ENQ stands for entrepreneurial intelligence. Yes. So you're gonna have to tell us what entrepreneurial intelligence is.
0: (laughs) So that is different to IQ in terms of the fact that we are most likely not born with it, similar to EQ in terms of the fact that we can develop it. But with an entrepreneurial environment, it it goes a little bit further. So I I define it very simply as saying ENQ equals U, because as the entrepreneur, it's all about you understanding what you got, what you don't got. Excuse the English, but it's the best way I can put it across. Um, and then, and then, in terms of saying leveraging who you are, because you can never do this by yourself. So it's it's very much about understanding how to place other people around you and and with you to achieve what it is that you want to achieve, and then staying on top of what's working, because. In in our kind of environment, momentum precedes clarity. So we don't have the the benefit of of standing in a space and making a calculation and and looking at what has worked before, before moving forwards, because we would never move, (laughs) because it's never a perfect world. So so we get used to saying, Well, I'm going to try this, and but I'm going to be completely on terms of what is working. So as the entrepreneur, it's understanding what I have so I can leverage that. It's understanding what I don't have so that I can hire that and place that. And then understanding what's working and what's not so that I can strategically, you know, refocus the team and 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 ensure that the team is the right mix for what it is that we're trying to achieve. So, leadership is, to my mind, the, the, the sort of the simplest, the simplest definition is it's, it's, You know, it's um, getting the collaboration of others. It's uniting others towards a cause. Entrepreneurial leadership is uniting others towards your cause. (laughs) You didn't adopt it from somebody else. You created it. So so entrepreneurial intelligence is needed to to further that cause by leveraging others, staying on top of what works. I hope that that explains it. But it's a a simple formula. And, And Path of the Lion is a book that I wrote, which follows that formula. In terms of how to develop it
2: so are those that entrepreneurial mindset entrepreneurial intelligence are those lions behaving differently in the pandemic to the people who what's the not lions the people who aren't lions
0: Right. So, so the lion analogy, you know, thank you for for, for for asking about that. So the lion analogy is because I was I was raised by a, a vet who was very interested in, in nature conservation. So I actually grew up spending most of my holidays in the game box watching Prides of Lions. Now, that sounds very exciting, but for a three-year-old that gets told, don't move, don't speak for hours, you know, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't the most enlightening. But I always remembered that I would watch these, and and the male lion would always sit slightly away from the pride, and he wasn't doing much, so he was dozing in the sun, looking fierce. And then all the work that was happening was the 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 the, the lion, you know, the lionesses, the female. This is not a gender thing. This is a this is a, a leadership analogy. The, all, the the women were doing all the work, and the cubs were you know the cubs were going. But let. Anything happened within the vicinity of that pride, and that lion would snap to attention, and you could see he knew exactly what was going on. So, so essentially, the the analogy is: don't get in the trench, as so to speak, but be positioned, and that takes time. You don't start there with your business; that's where you progress to. Become the lion on the hill, so that you are able, to, and that's entrepreneurial intelligence, so that you are able to to navigate this business through through the use of others. Now, COVID chucked us all off the hill like we were we were we were sprawling you know there was dust everywhere <laughs> so it was a regroup but if you if you are are trained in your thinking and experienced in your thinking in terms of The first thing is, well, how do I get back to the hill whilst I settle everybody else? So you're going back to the same place. It just meant that you got, you know, you got repositioned for a little bit. And that's that's my lion analogy. And I I haven't gone back to to write more since COVID because I've been so busy with the DPP. But you've just given me an idea that I'm going to note down.
2: (laughs) Are the entrepreneurs that you have interviewed, are they in New Zealand or in South Africa?
0: 10 were in New Zealand and 10 were in South Africa.
2: Perfect. So how did they respond differently given the different situation? Or did they respond the same given the different situation?
0: <laughs> the, they responded differently to certain questions. They came across very similarly. The, the, the first overarching response from just about every single one of them to COVID was jumping into the role of communicator, and holding their team together. And the first consideration was saying to everybody, don't you worry, I've got this. Don't worry about payroll. Don't worry about, I've got this. Now, the New Zealand ones, as I've said before, might have had some more government support, the South African ones didn't. So, so you know, you would think, well, was there a difference in response? However, I didn't find a big difference in response. But I was interested in that response, because why would any individual hit by COVID think that it's their responsibility to hold it all together when they didn't create it? What is that? And I I have actually looked further into that as as I'm developing my thesis, and I've called it the adversity thriver pattern, which is individuals who actually thrive through adversity, but also take on the responsibility for those in their care, and that came through very strongly in both countries.
2: So even though they're entrepreneurial, and I, I think you've you've you were talking about this, it's my cause, but also feeling a strong sense of responsibility for the people who are on that journey with you.
0: Yes. The thing that you'll find about successful entrepreneurs is that they they validate and they empower and they the people that they put around them, they position them and they empower them. So it's a very strong team. I don't know if there's many entrepreneurs, certainly not in my interviews, that succeed when they are very controlling um, and, and suffocate others within their business. That, to my mind, is why there's such a high failure rate, because that tendency will suffocate a business.
2: So when you're lounging around on the hill, you, you're not <laughs> trying to micromanage at the same time?
0: Absolutely not. You empower. And and that's the other thing about the lion on the hill is that the lion on the hill is ruthless, but not unkind, which means that if somebody within the team, when they've been empowered and they've been given every opportunity, is not pulling in the same direction as the team, then you have to make the decision and understand that you need to look after your pride. And that individual has got a different destiny <laughs> however you may set them on that path <laughs> um, but that is part of being the line on the hill yes is is understanding who belongs in your team and who doesn't but that leadership comes from you but you're not there to take the responsibility of everybody on your team you merely give them the opportunity
2: which is a nice segue to the question that I was trying to figure out how to get to and you've just solved that problem for me the New Zealand government response the communication a big part of it has been that team of five million, the be kind. Does yep. that message appeal to people in that entrepreneurial mindset?
0: Yes, yes, it definitely did. I I actually found uh, Jacinda Ardern as, as an individual. Now, I don't want to get into a political thing because I'm not qualified to do so. But as as an example of leadership, I felt that she did an excellent job. Of, of leading us through the, the COVID crisis. I know that there's a lot of, you know, um, dissension at the moment in terms of the vaccination, and I don't want to go there because that's not about this debate. But her leadership, I felt, was very, very effective. And I actually, in, in, in terms of getting through my research, bought the books on her, read up, because I was very interested to see where that might have come from, you know, and, and how she might have learned that, because she, as an example of somebody who's approached leadership um, very uniquely, but but very effectively through things like this, certainly when you compare her to the other world leaders. And I, I it definitely, it, it personally, it really did appeal to me. I struggled listening to, to people, you know, talking about, oh, you know, we're going back to communism and we, you know, because to me it was, it was counterproductive to trying to hold a team of 5 million together. I felt that the way that she, the way that she went about it, I... I felt very comfortable with that. I admired it, and I and I've learned from it.
2: I think one of the things that has impressed me was for this, but also from COVID, but also from the Christchurch um, shootings, was the the fact that the responses came out really quickly, and it the speed of them really suggested that that the the approach hadn't gone through focus groups this was something that was like yeah. this is values led this is this has yeah. come from that that sense of knowing where to go sorry
0: um absolutely um I agree with you that 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 response was absolutely authentic and and it it, it just showed you know it, it Jacinda Ardern wasn't just saying what she was doing she was showing what she was doing and you're right N- none of that went through focus groups um so i'm i'm quite with you there and and i, I think that she really really did get a lot of the, not not just New Zealand, but the whole world paying attention to the way that she has responded to these kinds of things.
2: So again, not being about the politics but the do you, do you think that there are lessons in that for that entrepreneurial intelligence that entrepreneurial mindset?
0: Yes, I do. and I can give you an example of this in my own in my own experience so i I have been running a business for twenty six years and I have been the boss, I suppose, to a lot of people. Now, I i don't quite align with that, because I see that we're on the same level. And the thing about lion leadership is that it's not hierarchical at all, it's a flat structure. But coming into different organizations, such as an academic one, um, I was quite, I, I sort of noticed that there was a little bit of hierarchy going on and and sort of some comments that were almost sort of, you know, maybe by design, maybe they got lost in interpretation but almost sort of seemed to jostle for position in terms of who was the superior in the room. And and I, I, as an entrepreneur coming in and somebody who had been in a position of what can be seen as power for most of my career, I have never ever felt it necessary to be rude to anybody. I have gotten my message across, I have not taken rubbish, but i've never I've never felt it necessary to be rude, and I think that that's something that one of the things that came through with the entrepreneurs as well is when I asked them what their role in the company was, often making the tea came up. you know I, I, I do I do everything. I make the tea and and I still do that when when I'm at my company and there's a meeting, I'm running around making tea. so that just it, it sort of shows you how we think in terms of what leadership is. and absolutely again. I think that um, Jacinda has been an example of that and and she's done and I really admire her because she's done it in an she's done it in an environment that is so structured and hierarchical and and you know um, confrontational. I could create my own environment. she couldn't. So I really admire how she holds to that.
1: Bubble sprite of the forest of Oracoui, Dunedin's favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie.
4: Kia ora koutou, ki arohanou, ki a ho. Can the best day of all superstars, of universes, really hope wherever you are, this journey that's proven to be very sustained and alone for you each day. You are a triumph of nature's heart And here making. As we know, we live in a time of great end. In fact, we always have. Uncertainty is a founding principle of our universe. We're constantly surprised and we're constantly finding new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling in response to and I'm so grateful for this, I'm so grateful for our consciousness and in fact the consciousness of life, it's co-evolving and it has been, it's our beautiful universe so, poof, erupted into being an uncertainty of course provoke, different reactions it can have feelings, fear and disappointment haven't unfolded and the expected and these expectations can sometimes keep us in a, a pattern of behaviour or thinking that it doesn't fully allow us to, our beautiful gift, port with us. If we can bravely and valiantly accept that uncertainty is here with us to stay, we can see it as a friend and creative ally. We can know that we have the tools to make new pathways, not only in our brain, our daily lives, and in the life. As we know, when we think the same thoughts over and over again, myelinisation takes place in our brain. and neural connections these neural pathways form and the wonderful thing of course our beautiful brains is that we have this neuroplasticity so we can rewire them and we can create new pathways and it's partly due to embracing uncertainty that we can do this that we know that when we need to when we want to our glorious mind is to support us so I really hope for you, even in this time of uncertainty, you're finding ways to express who you are creatively and enjoyably. There's so much joy to be had, of course, in the uncertain and unknown, and this really is the creative realm. And, of course, we have so much in our lives that is certain. There is a foundation that, that we can rely on that we can feel is concrete. One of those aspects is our infinite and eternal selves that stillness within us we know that that's always there that inner sanctuary but uncertainty is really the dance the music that twirls and swirls around us although we have that stillness and that silence within of course uncertainty is the opportunity to juxtapose that and be inspired so i really hope for you at this time when things are uncertain We can acknowledge that this can provoke feelings of discomfort and fear. And these are completely natural. There is always the desire to control and to to understand, to seek pattern and find meaning It's part of who we are as a species. But that that uncertainty too is an opportunity for us to grow. And I know for me, being part of this show has helped me immeasurably in these uncertain times. So I hope for you, you too have ways to share your thoughts. And I'm so grateful for this time with you. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti.
2: You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Sandy Gaia. Sandy, we've lost Mawera from today's conversation. I don't know where she's gone, but she isn't here anymore. Um, if she was here, she'd be asking a question, something along the lines of I'm gonna make it this up here. She'd be asking something along the lines of As children as teenagers, people are confronted with a whole pile of challenges in the world that they didn't cause, but is that the realization that they're going into a world of things like climate change and social inequity and biodiversity collapse, all those sorts of things that, that people become aware of as teenagers. And somehow out of that, we need people to come out with that, you know, a a positive way of getting through that. Do entrepreneurial people see those sorts of problems as opportunities? And is that something that we can
0: teach? Sam, there's two things that come out of that question for me. And and I'm addressing this in my own DPP work that I'm doing. I think the first is that we, rather than just focusing on trying to teach our, our, our future leaders and business people how to fit into boxes that we know now when they may well not work at that point, we need to teach them how to navigate an environment that will keep changing. And that starts with self-awareness and self-leadership. So that's very much what my DPP is focusing on and doing, and putting that in around thirteen, the age of thirteen or fourteen, because being self-aware and having self-leadership skills means that I can navigate from the inside out. Because if I put myself out there just to be blown around by the wind, that's all I'm ever going to be be doing. So, so I've I've got to learn how to anchor myself first, so that I can withstand I can withstand that. Then on the other side of that. Entrepreneurs do not have they have a contribution mindset. They do not have an entitlement mindset. And this is where I think we also possibly go wrong in the way that we we communicate the challenges. So if we if we communicate to our youth that they are victims of victims in any way, so victim thinking in any way of social injustice, of racial injustice, of any kinds of things, that we are almost allowing them and, and, and to my mind, growing a victim mindset. And I don't think that that is at all helpful to staying positive and overcoming challenges. What I think we should be focusing on is saying, I'm here for a purpose. Where can I make a contribution? How can I help? And the entrepreneurs that I interviewed as well as the ones that did the survey, nobody was in it for the money. They were in it to make a difference. They had a contract, there was a contribution mindset throughout my entire sample. And if we can, if we can firstly um, readdress the way that that our future leaders and our future business people and, and and communities see failure, that it's a learning process and it's okay, you know, fail, that's all good. You learn and on you go. You are here to make a contribution. Nobody in the world actually owes you anything. So is it fair? No. Is it is it just? No. And and we can acknowledge that and we can work to, to fixing that. But as individuals, if we look at it in terms of I'm hard done by here and I'm a victim, I don't think that's a good start. So, so those are the two things that I work very hard around reframing for, for young people in the preparation for futures is self-awareness and self-leadership developing from the inside out. And then how do I view the world and myself in it? I, I I'm, don't go towards victim thinking acknowledge the way that it really is because we must be real, but where do I make my contribution? So that's, yeah, that's the way I see it.
2: Yeah. The acknowledgement is an important part of it. The theme of this show is positive, but not deluded. So exactly. We don't exactly. want to pretend yeah. these things aren't there. We do need to recognize yep. that this, this injustice or that, that this this person is starting from the back foot Yep. But still empower them to to do things. But also, where does the where does the, the the collective fit into this, or is it the responsibility of that individual, or is it a responsibility of the the bigger society to create conditions in which people can be entrepreneurial?
0: So I've i 've struggled a little bit in terms of the collective as an individual because I was born and raised in in apartheid south Africa where where you know um anybody that wasn 't a white male just didn't stand a chance and and there were there were racial divides and there were gender divides and and that was something that that was very prevalent in my upbringing and then and then just as we sort of got onto the other side of that then then the government changed and black empowerment came in and all of a sudden again you know as a white person and a woman I was, I was back on the other wrong side of that so so I I kind of learned really quickly that I was going to have to make it on my own and and I I I never disregard the fact that I had privilege, of course I did, and I completely recognize that and try to share that as I move forward, you know, in terms of making the most of of who I am, I've been able to help a lot of other people, if I stood back and went, oh goodness, you know, I was hard done by, um, and stick my hand out, that wasn't going to help anybody else, so I viewed things that way, and I was reading the Donald Trump book, actually, that his niece wrote, as part of my my sort of thing on on successful entrepreneurs, because I was interested in how he actually made it, because he doesn't have any <laughs> of the things that I think that you should. <laughs> and one of the things that he really lacked, really, really lacked, was compassion and empathy. And I got a bit of a fright when I was reading it, because some of the things I kind of recognized in myself, and I felt a little bit down about it for a couple of days. And I thought, do I, do I, am I a little bit hard on people that really? you know, don't have the capacity to bounce back like I found the capacity. So I've I've sort of grown myself in that way. But because of the way that I've navigated my own environment and then, you know, leaving South Africa, immigrating to New Zealand, starting again in many ways, it, it's kind of like it's hard for me to be in both camps and, and be doing positive work within a communal collective uh, sense and then also doing my positive work within the individual and then to the collective. So I think I had to make a decision at some point to stay authentic to the, the 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 cause that I feel is pulling me. I'm here to make a difference. This is what I understand. This is what I have managed to, you know, um, put something behind in my own experience and assist others. I, I, I don't have all sides of it. Definitely not. I'm just a very small part of the picture. But the sense of who I am and what I can do to make a difference, I don't want to spread that too thin. I want to stay with what feels right to me. And that's the path that I'm on, rightly or wrongly for anyone else, maybe.
2: I am going to squeeze in the second of your music choices, Bruce Springsteen. Cover me. Why this one?
0: So the, the song starts off by saying something about you know, the world's so tough, it's getting tougher, you know, cover me. And I think that no matter how, you know, how resilient you are and how much you struggle, I think it's just kind of, I've always loved the opening. It's got such a vibe, that song, and he's so cute. But apart from that, <laughs> <laughs> apart from that, I think it's that whole thing of saying, you know, the world is tough and it's getting tougher, cover me. We all look for somewhere where we need to take cover. And that that song for me just kind of allows me to do that. <laughs>
2: Sandy, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick?
0: In terms of changes in society, I think one of the things that COVID did was that it brought a lot of people together. I think it's, it it did bring kindness out in a lot of people. And I've seen that across both countries. Um, so I certainly think that it's... It united us in different ways. We were all sort of going around our business, you know, and and we had the relationships that we did. And then we were all of a sudden we were all in a crisis together. So so what I've seen coming out of that is yes, a, a deepening level of, of empathy, a deepening level of kindness. I I do hope that the vaccine debates don't annihilate that and that we come through, um and and sort of stick to to the the, the goodness that we found. And I think again in just understanding that we we we, we different colors, we different classes, we different areas, everything but we all humanity so so you know that is that is really the 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 collective um thing that we need to preserve in terms of being aware of that humanity and looking after it individually and collectively
2: you said earlier on that one of the things about entrepreneurs is their ability to work in that uncertainty and that they're being positively adaptive one of the things that we have heard quite a lot of is Business representatives really demanding a, a clamor for certainty, and you can understand <laughs> why it would be nice to know this is what's happening on the first of whatever date. But also recognizing that, to 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 a large degree, that's not possible. Yeah, and and I think that you're saying that the true entrepreneurial people get it. Yes. That if if they really are, do have that that entrepreneurial intelligence, they're actually what they thrive on is that uncertainty, even if it's not necessarily the thing that's going to make them the most money.
0: Money follows. Money follows purpose and passion. And and as long as those are aligned, money will follow. And money won't follow everything, you know. For every successful entrepreneur Sam that you see, we've got very flat noses because we've fallen so many times and we've hit brick walls hard so many times. So, so a successful person is really somebody who's just failed a hang of a lot more than <laughs> than maybe somebody you know further down the track. Um, but 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 yeah, it's 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 really a case of of as the leader understanding that um, dysfunction and and chaos out of that comes reorganization and adaptability. So so actually, funny enough, within my survey, I had a a section that lends to the model of uh, cunefin, which is a model all about disorder and and complicated and simple. And I've got a whole section that I've captured in data, but I, I haven't included it in my study and I can't wait to get to it. <laughs> but what I noticed was that uh, I had a, a question that said, well, you know, did you, did you go to what worked yesterday and, and try and analyze what was going on and then find a plan? And a lot of them went there. But just as many of them went to, I understood that we were in a chaotic environment. And the minute that I came to terms with that was my first positive step. And a lot of the, you know, that was the set, that was actually the highest in terms of the response. So that's the entrepreneur who responds that way. However, bearing in mind that what the entrepreneur then immediately looked to do was to try and create certainty for their team. So they're also like that, you know, they're not passing that thinking on, they, they're trying to keep their team comfortable, but as the individual, they're trying to face that. So, yeah. I don't know
2: how easy that is to pass on. We had a good discussion with Rob England about that and the the, the concept of VUCA—the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous—and yeah. he yeah. argues that all of our management techniques and tools have been developed in a period of unprecedented calm, exactly. and, and now we've moved back away from that, and that's why we're yeah. having difficulty.
0: Exactly right.
2: <laughs> I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, so we shall have to wriggle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so?
0: Hmm. Oh goodness <laughs> you know I, I maybe the biggest success that I've had is in in getting in getting through my dpp in the way that i have i think it's it's opened such a range of deeper thinking and and empathetic thinking and ethnical thinking for me as an individual so so i know that i will navigate on from here no matter sort of what hits but i just feel that there's so much more to me now than just this hardened entrepreneur that you know cares for everybody else but but goes about it in this sort of way i I just feel so much more empowered. So, I think the, I think the biggest success was when I realised I was going to finish my DPP. The fact that I had proven my case, which I was saying right at the beginning anyway, but I had proven it. But in the process, goodness, had I grown and learned. <laughs> so that to me is a massive success. I, I was, I was shocked by how much I did not know, but I got over it quickly, and I'm still learning.
2: <laughs> so, what is your superpower?
0: My superpower is my focus, I I just have um, an incredible focus that I can see through the chaos, and I can see where, where to next. And that is a personal strength, I tend to oversimplify things, so, so sometimes detail for me is not my friend, and in that the DPP has been a massive challenge, but it's a superpower, but sometimes it means that I might, you know, I might go down a, a dead end street at 100 k's an hour, and then my nose is flat again. So it, it's it's a strength and a weakness. But largely through my through my own journey, my my natural focus has been has been really good, and I, I have an incredible work ethic. But that's because I'm on purpose and I I'm doing what what is meaningful to me.
2: So, do you consider yourself to be an activist?
0: That's funny because I've never. I've never gone to the side of things like feminism, you know, those kinds of things. I've just always kind of done what I wanted to and and understood that people that have bias will, will become attached to their bias when they realize the value of what you're bringing to the party. So, and if they hold that bias, that's their issue. That's not my issue. So I've never seen myself as an activist. I've seen myself as, okay, so I can't go that way. I'll go the other way, or I'll go over the top, or I'll go around the you know, or well, I'll go underneath. So, no, I don't see myself as an activist because the people that I see as activists, um, you know, operate very differently to the way that I do. I just get on and get it done. And and I, I don't talk too much about, you know, what I'm up against, I don't know.
2: <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
0: You know, when I, I started my own business because I wanted to become an available mother. So I was 26, pregnant with my second child, and I wanted to be available for my children because I realized that being in corporate, I just was never available. And that motivated me right through keeping our company going because the alternative was going back to corporate and being unavailable to my children. So that was that's what got me going. Then once the company became sort of successful and, and self-sufficient and, and on it went, I was so motivated by seeing the difference that my own learning had made to those that I was then influencing and teaching. And because of that, I then started ENQ practice and actually formally started trying to make a difference to others. And the DPP, I've realized I can make a far more educated difference to others. So, I, I you know, my my motivation has changed from a young mother to a, a more established business person to now, you know, going into my 50s and saying, well, I could retire tomorrow. And, you know, but I, I don't have it in me. I'm, I'm going to be I believe that we're here to make a difference and I'm driven to do that and they're going to have to just shoot me one day because I'm not going away easily.
2: (laughs) So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two?
0: So my biggest challenge is what I have created through the DPP in terms of a product is getting it out into the world so that it can make the difference to the people that I had in mind and I have a a really nice network around that and good support from South Africa. Also within New Zealand, I've been here for 13 years now, but there's a lot of work to be done. So as I said, I'm often a happy hermit, um, but but I need to get out network and network and I need to make more contacts and, and I need to align with different people now as my journey progresses. So that's, that's my challenge is, is how do I get my work out there and, and align with the right people now?
2: And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners?
0: In terms of uh, what, Sam?
2: <laughs> it's a free hit. It's the last question. It's anything you'd like to say.
0: Uh, well, you know, my yeah, my my driving mantra is manage your focus. Don't worry about managing your time. Manage your focus. Work out what's important. Work out what matters. Manage your focus on that. That that's my kind of mantra.
2: Sandy, thank you very much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure.
3: Hey, 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 hey,
5: hey, hey,
3: hey, 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 flood.
2: you listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Tiger Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.anz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is the experimental Neil Diamond from 1970. I am the lion. I'm Samuel Ann in is Bay Dunedin. We for a while had Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and we were joined by Sandy Gaia from Gulf Harbor north of Auckland. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show.
0: This podcast was produced by OrFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.